Our scripture reading for this morning is 1 John chapter 4. So if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 11. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one supplied in the pew in front of you, and you can find the text on page 1023. Page 1023, 1 John chapter 4, that's the big number, the little numbers are the verse numbers, verses 7 to 21. So if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of God's word, you can follow along while I read. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so if you're visiting with us um, by chance, I need to probably give a little bit of explanation. Um, This month of of March, we have been focusing um, in prayer for asking God for His path forward. We have some building issues we need to attend to, which really is, is bigger than just bricks and mortar. It's about the vision of our church and who God wants us to be and who He wants us to be moving forward into the future, who He wants us to be for this community that He's plant us, planted us in the midst of. So 
in a sense, this message is going to be um, an appropriate, hopefully, conclusion to this month, but also send us off into the future as we seek God's will for um, our church. So we fasted and prayed this month. We're going to do so again um, this afternoon. At the conclusion of our service, we're going to have another time of prayer and fasting like we did at the beginning of March. And so we're going to do it again, but March is come, coming to a close, right? So that means we're going to have to move forward somehow. So what's that going to look like? Well, this happens to be a fifth Sunday, and we typically have an emphasis on the fifth Sunday um, on our fifth value, which is gospel mission. So what is our mission? As we move forward, what's our mission? What are we called to do? What is Bethel Baptist Church here for? What are we going to do? And are we doing it? How does God want to change us? How does he want to use us? Who do we need to become? Those are some of the questions we've been asking ourselves this month. So do you ever stop and just think about what God wants you to do with your life? I mean, does it feel like you have like a hundred things to do every week? What do you want me to do? Or it's, it's hard to even stop and reflect because you just have these lists, you know, a bunch of lists and you're just crossing off, hoping to cross off as much as possible each day or each week. And you just kind of get tunnel vision and you're just kind of slogging along. I mean, does anything ever bring unity and coherence to those checklists? to all those to-do lists? I mean, what's the point? What's the point of your life? What's the point of your part in this church family, this community? What are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> what are you supposed to be doing? Why would we ever spend any money even to fix up, let alone rebuild, the middle part of our building? What should we use it for if we ever do that? Well, I'm pretty excited to report that I know what God's will is for us as we move forward. You probably think I'm joking. Like I'm being flippant. I'm not being flippant. I'm absolutely convinced. Because God's already told us. Okay, I'm not indulging in kind of the pulpit exaggeration. This is the most important text. Week after week, you know, have you ever heard preachers do that? Um, you know, life-changing every week. Anyway, you guys wake? Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard pastors do that? Okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that pulpit exaggeration. I'm saying this is God's will for us as we move forward. Okay? So this agenda is not my agenda. I would be really nervous to say I know what God's will is for us if he hadn't already told us. Okay? So this is not my agenda. This isn't just the agenda of your leaders here. This is not some idiosyncratic agenda, my little quirky pet project or our little hobby horse, you know, that we're going to ride here at Bethel. Okay, so if you have any pushback on how we're going to move forward here, at least in broad scope, broad brush, you'll have to push back on Jesus because these are his words. Okay, this is his agenda. So... You know, it sure seems oftentimes like there's so many commands in the Bible, like there's so many things we need to do, but Jesus brings some wonderful clarity and unity to what we're supposed to do in Matthew 22. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22, 
Dear church, hear the words of King Jesus. This is the, these are words from the mouth of your king. He's got a word for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 22, Jesus has got something to say to us this morning as we move forward, and, and let's just prayerfully ask that we have ears to hear. So let me read our text for this morning. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, and we'll focus in on verses 37 to 40. Okay, there's a little outline in your bulletin. If that's helpful for you, you can follow along that way. Okay, so when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, these are different kind of religious ruling parties in first century, first century Judaism. When the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then they picked one of their, you know, young guns that can maybe pin Jesus to the wall, ask him a question and get him on his heels. One of them a lawyer. Don't think we have connotations with lawyers, okay? And this is a religious law expert, so somebody who's an expert in the law of God, okay? So the the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament. Um, So that's who this guy is, and he asks Jesus a question. Why? Not because he was really curious, but because he wanted to test Jesus. So verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so what do we do now? Come to the end of the month of March, moving forward, what do we do now? Well, here's what we do. (laughs) So this lawyer comes, asks Jesus a question, what's the great commandment? See, the rabbis of Jesus' time, they counted by their count, there were something like 613 commandments in the Old Testament in the law, in the Torah, particularly the Pentateuch, okay? And as you can imagine, with that many laws, there were lots of discussions and debates as to which ones were were weightier, which ones were greater, okay, and which ones were lighter. That doesn't mean that they viewed any of God's laws as unimportant. They wouldn't have done that, only that they looked for how to kind of prioritize the laws. So there were also debates on whether there was maybe one grand summary law, kind of an umbrella under which all the other laws would fall, okay? So this was kind of a live debate at the time, and here they're going to pose the same question to Jesus, see how he answers, okay? So verse 37, and Jesus responds like this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, okay? So the the Jews were very familiar with this command back then. And guess what? They're still familiar with this command because they learned to say it at least twice a day. So you want to hear what it sounds like? This is what they would recite um, twice a day. Marsha is Jewish and she went to Hebrew school, right? And so here's what um, a Jew would say a couple times a day. Go ahead. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai 
Echad. Baruch Shem Kavod, Machuso, Leolam Va'ed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his holy name, our King over all the world. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so they were very familiar with this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 starts out that way, and then it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And I don't think I'm shutting this thing off. I just hold it in. I don't know. Okay. Um, so this was, this was just emblazoned in front, front of their minds and hearts, okay? But then Jesus adds a second command, and he says, a second is like it. Verse 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he pointed to Deuteronomy 6. He didn't go to the Ten Commandments. He went to Deuteronomy 6, and then he pointed to Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and said this is a second command that's like the first command. And then he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, in other words, these two commands form like a peg strong enough that you could hold the weight of the rest of the Old Testament. You could hang the rest of the Old Testament from these two commands. Everything else makes sense underneath those two commandments. Okay, so first let's just kind of think about how that's true. And this isn't just for the sake of kind of satisfying our curiosity. This is for our lives because these, this great command or great commandments, you could say, should bring coherence and unity to all the gazillion things that we feel like we need to do. So this is coherence and unity for us, okay? Can be bring wonderful clarity and focus to our lives. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? Well, love God, love your neighbor. Everything else hangs or finds its place underneath those two commandments. So let's just take the Ten Commandments for instance, okay? We could take other commands in the Old Testament or even in the New. Can all ten hang from these two? Think of the first one. Have no other gods before me. Well, that's like the negative way of saying love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? Let's take the bottom one. Don't covet. Well, that's is that, is that fit underneath love God with all you are? Is he enough for you? If he is, you won't think you need something else to be happy, something that's not yours. And certainly if you take something that's not yours, that's stealing, that's another one of the commands, and that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Honoring your father and mother is honoring God, loving God with all your being, and it is loving your parent neighbor. <laughs> Don't commit adultery or lust like Jesus kind of teases it out in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not loving. It's not loving your neighbor, even if you don't know her, okay? Do not murder or be sinfully anger like, angry like Jesus, again, unpacks it further in the Sermon on the Mount, because it's not loving, your neighbor. 
Don't steal, don't bear false witness. They're not loving, okay? So you can see how all the Ten Commandments, in a sense, are just application of the great commandments, right? Which are two sides of the same coin. You can't really separate those two. They hang together. So can you even think of an Old Testament command that doesn't fit underneath that umbrella? You're not going to be able to find it. There's not something that's out here. Well, do these two things, and then, oh, you got to do the other things too. No, they all hang underneath love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So, okay, what do we make of this? Well, if you read, here's the point. Like, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes it, it can be really confusing, and we kind of just ignore stuff we don't understand and go to the New Testament, stuff we feel like we can understand a little bit better. But it, here's the point. If you, if you read the Old Testament and you don't get love neighbor, love God, you missed the point. <laughs> That's the point of the whole Bible. It's the point of the whole Old Testament. Because it can all be summed up or it all hangs on those two commands. So if you get a different message when you read the Bible, you miss the point. Okay? So this is what we need to do. This is what we must do is be this kind of loving people vertically, horizontally. Okay? As we move forward with plans as a church... Everything we do needs to be summarized by, guided by these two commands. What we say yes and no to should be guided by love. Why we do what we do should be guided by love, love to God, love to neighbor. So what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Let's just unpack that a little bit. Does, does anyone or anything have a more central or supreme place in your life? In your affections? In your value system? Do you want anyone or anything more than you want God? Do you love anyone or anything more than God? Is he a tool to get what you really want? Is that how you relate to him? Kind of like a genie or an errand boy. Or is he actually the treasure that you desire? He's your life's treasure. Do you have any other gods before God? Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you, I mean, I think we need to just get this right in front of our mind's eye Go through life and realize how radical of a command this is to love our neighbors as ourselves. What if you were as zealous and committed to your neighbor's good? And that's anybody you run into, right? That's what Jesus was saying when he did the whole Good Samaritan story is basically anybody that you run into. It's not just the people that live on either side of your house. It's a radical command. What if... You were as zealous and committed to your neighbor's good as you are to your own good. I mean, here's the thing. We are just automatic. What if, what if we did it in such an automatic, I don't even have to think about it way as we do for ourselves? Let's say, just for instance, you meet a homeless person this afternoon or, or on a Saturday when you're running some errands, doing some shopping, and this guy's shoes are totally blown out, and he comes up to you and says, you know, I, I'm, not trying to t I'm not trying to like fleece you here. I'm not trying to tell you a story. I, I need some shoes. They're two sizes too small. They're blown out. Would you be able to buy me some shoes? 
What's going on in your mind? Are you starting to calculate? Are you perfectly willing and happy to spend as much on their shoes or boots as you are on yours? By the way, I think this is one of the reasons why there's so many warnings in the the New Testament about wealth. This is all of us in here. Because as our standard of living grows, it's so much harder to love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's why sometimes, maybe I've had this experience, some of you probably had a similar experience, some of the most loving, generous people that you know are very poor. So love your neighbor as yourself. This is not just, oh yeah, I'm a loving person. Like, this is a radical command. It has all kinds of implications for our time, our money, our comfort, our compassion, our concern, our efforts. Do you care as much about your neighbor who's cold as you do about your own warmth in the winter? Coolness when it's hot, when you're hungry? Are you as zealous for your neighbor, maybe in your own home, when you're hungry? Are you as zealous for their belly to be filled, for them to be satisfied as you are about your own hunger to be filled? I mean, what do we do? In our homes, we do this at picnics. We do this when we gather together. It's like you get the plate of cookies or the plate of burgers, and, and which one are you going for? Okay, some of the moms in the room have got this figured out a little bit, um, but you go for the biggest one. You give it a little once over. Or if we do deny ourselves, we, we really want to, and who knows why we're actually not choosing that one. Maybe because we want people to notice, and anyway. What if we were as zealous, like passionately, sincerely, really, for our neighbor to get the best piece as we were? ourselves to get it. There are so many ways this thing gets fleshed out. We don't have time to do that, but it's just, can we get this in front of our faces and say, Lord, oh man, I am not this. I want to be this. How about this? Do you want to go to heaven? Oh, thank you. I'm glad somebody wants to go to heaven. That's good. Um, Are you as committed to your neighbor's eternal good as you are to your own? You see how these two great commands are two sides of the same coin. They go together. You can't tear them apart. If I say I love God and I don't love my brother, sister, my neighbor, I'm a liar like we read in 1 John. If you try to love people without loving God first, you don't know how to love people, right? So you can't separate these things. You may only end up with some kind of random acts of kindness that aren't particularly Christian, okay? So are these commands governing us like like they should? Do they loom large in our lives, the two great commandments that they are? Are they functioning like beacons out in front of us in our life, lighting the path that we want to walk? Because if you think about it, even think about the Ten Commandments, do you know they're more like the guardrails? And the path is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, don't commit adultery. (laughs) Don't go into the ditch. Don't steal. Well, you don't, you don't live life like hugging the guardrail going, I, I got to not go in the ditch. I got to not go in the ditch. No, staying on the path is 
loving God and loving neighbor. So, regardless of what we do with the physical building, here's what God wants us to do. The greatest commandment. This is our mission. This is why we're here. But you know what? Let's be honest. We haven't. You haven't. I haven't. And in fact, in our own strength, we can't. Okay, so we, we were made to love God with all our being. We were made to love our neighbors as ourselves. We haven't. I haven't. We've got to admit it. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We're guilty. We've been half-hearted in our love for God. We've been apathetic and indifferent. We're like a roller coaster oftentimes. We've been cold. We've been lukewarm. Maybe you are right now. I mean, here is the most wonderful, loving person in the universe, and we've often yawned and spurned and ignored and despised him. And then, as for loving our neighbors as ourselves, I mean, I think we know we're, we're guilty. Not only sins of commission we've committed, we've, we were supposed to love, we didn't love, but also sins of omission where we fail to do things We omit things that we should be doing. We haven't loved or met needs or moved toward or listened to or shown compassion when we should have. We shrunk back into our own comfort little comfort zones and tried to save our lives. Okay, so if if you're not a Christian, you're here with us this morning, that's great. Glad that you're here. I hope that the weight of this lands on you because I think sometimes it's easy for people to think, they look around and go, I'm a pretty good person. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not like those people on the news. You know, I'm not like this. I, well, the Bible's pretty clear. It says, whoever keeps the whole law, which none of us have, but fail in one point, have become accountable for it all. He who said, and here's why, he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. What does that mean? The whole point is, if you break it at one point, you've broken the law because all the law is really love God and neighbor. So you could not murder, but if you do commit adultery, you're a lawbreaker. And all the law is summed up in, in a sense, one command with two sides to it, love God, love neighbor. Okay, so every human being on the planet is guilty of failing to keep the law of God. We're lawbreakers, we're guilty. God's a judge, he's a just judge. We are in trouble if we're going to be judged based on our own merits. But there's good news. There's good news if you're not yet a Christian. There's good news for you if you're convicted of how unloving that you've, you've been, like I'm convicted. So we've got no resources in and of ourselves to love this way. But there are plenty of resources in God to save us from our lovelessness and enable us to love Him more like this. I mean, in our own strength, we can't live in love like this. But All the law and the prophets, all God wants us to do is summarized right here. Love him with everything we are. Love our neighbors as ourselves. And being able to love like this depends on what we believe about the one who hung on a cross out of perfect love of God and neighbor. Okay, so we need to see our lovelessness, be honest about it. But you know what? Don't stop there. Don't just focus on your lovelessness this morning. Make sure you focus on the great love 
of God. And that is like drinking from the fountain, and you get filled up, and your cup is filled to overflowing, and you're ready to love the people around you. Okay, so let's just focus for a minute here on the lavish and steadfast love of God. Okay, so we haven't loved like this. We can't in our own strength, in our own steam, but the triune God has loved us like this, and by His grace, we can. Okay, if there's anything worth pondering, it is the how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Okay? We're just going to scratch the surface here, but just consider how our perfectly loving triune God has loved us. Okay? I'm going to just give you a couple examples, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? God the Father, He planned and demonstrates His love. Okay? So God so loved, the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. God the Father planned and sent the Son. Romans 5, 8, God shows, he demonstrates, he makes visible and obvious his love for us and that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so God the Father demonstrates his love by means of sending his Son on the cross. He is not, see, some people get this idea, they read the Old Testament, they feel like God was kind of angry and vengeful in the Old Testament, and then he's nice in the New Testament. Maybe he changed because of what Jesus did. No. <laughs> he did not change. God so loved that he gave. God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners. So it's the Father's love that actually initiated all this. Listen to what John Stott said. It cannot be emphasized too strongly that God's love is the source, not the consequence of the atonement of the cross. God does not love us because Christ died for us. Did you hear that? Christ died for us because God loved us. It, if it is God's wrath which needed to be dealt with, it's God's love that made his son to deal with it. God did not change from wrath to love or from enmity to grace since his character is unchanging. What the... What the propitiation changed was his dealings with us, Jesus absorbing that wrath in our place, okay? So God the Father is so loving, and he demonstrates it in the plan of salvation. God the Son accomplished it. Remember when he was about to wash the disciples' feet? John 13, it says, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he was about ready to to die on the cross and to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, his disciples, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the utmost. He took it all the way to the end. He didn't back down. He didn't bail out. And then John 15, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. I mean, if you just, I mean, we can't do it this morning. We don't have time, but just the kind of incredible condescension, how he stooped and took on flesh and bore all this shame for us and then bearing the wrath of God in our place on the cross. Incredible love, incredible love that the Son accomplished on the cross. And then the Spirit takes that work of Christ, that loving work of Christ, and applies it to us. He opens our eyes to see how loving God is, how much we need his mercy and forgiveness and gives us new soft hearts. Spirit does that work internally in us, takes these hard stony hearts out and puts soft loving hearts 
within us. Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit of God, His job is to enable us to experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Listen to the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 3. I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You need to be strengthened so that you can actually grasp. You can be strong enough internally to grasp how amazingly wide and high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? You've got to experience it. How do you experience the great love of God? Only as the Spirit makes it real to us. So the Spirit of God applies the great work of Christ, love, that the Father demonstrates. And so the triune God just conspires together to pour this love into our lives. So this is the stuff that, you know, we can look at ourselves and go, oh man, I'm so loveless, like, man, I just feel left and right and cold. And Okay, be honest with yourself, but look up. You're not going to change if you keep looking at your belly button. Look up and see the great love of the Father, the great love of the Son, the great love of the Spirit operative in your life. And there is hope for us to change and to do this command as we move forward. I mean, talk about somebody who loved his neighbor. God. God's a good neighbor. He moved in. And died in order to love us to the utmost. And he did it with all his heart and soul. So, if we know this, if we see this, if we believe this, eyes of faith, not just mental assent to facts, not just, this is like grasping the great love of God. That's what actually sets us free to love like Jesus wants us to love. Faith works through love. That's what Galatians 5, 6 says. Faith in the love of God for us, faith in this great God of love, His Son of love who died for us to set us free, the Spirit of God working in us. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. The Spirit of God helps us grasp the love of God so that we believe all that God is for us, what He's done for us, what He promises to to do for us, how He's going to always take care of us. And believing that love, we are filled up and we're set free to unleash that love on those around us. So faith works through love. If we're going to really love God with all our heart, love our neighbors as ourselves, we've got to believe the gospel. We've got to believe the great love of God for us. We've got to see it. So it's this fight of faith to believe the, the, in the love of God that's going to enable us, empower us to love our neighbors and to love God the way that he calls us to. So just, just think about this. Think about this in your marriage. Think about this with your kids. Think about this at work. Think about this in your neighborhood. Think about this with your folks in your home group. Like, what's the loving thing? How do I love my neighbor as myself? 
And then when that path is clear, oftentimes it's just costly and you're tired and you're weary and you don't want to do it. Where does the strength come from to do that? Faith works through love. You need to look at how God has loved you so greatly in Christ. And you're going to be empowered to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not good at this. I don't think any of us are particularly good at this. Don't you want to grow in this? Do you want to be loving like this? Do you want us to be loving like this? Do you want this community to say, man, I don't you know, know all of what's going on there. I don't know if I believe everything they believe, but they are the most loving community. Those people from Bethel are like the most loving people I've ever met. So let's love God. What are we going to do? We are called to love God with all we are. Let's fight anything that gets in the way of that. Let's love our neighbor, believer, non-Christian alike, even our enemies. Let's love them. Relying on the Spirit of God, help me see it, help me know it, help me experience it. Believing in the gospel of Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for loving me to the utmost. You, you did the work. That is the measure of love, is the cross. Rejoicing in the love of the Father. Thank you, Father, for so loving this sinful world and this sinful man that you sent your son to die for me. And then let's just get together as a church family and consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Anybody interested in that? That's what home groups are for. And in the month of April, we're going to have a Sunday school class. I'm going to lead it. It's going to be a time for us to do some brainstorming. And be careful. You come to brainstorm, you might get a job to do. Oh, good idea. Why don't you run with that? Okay? Let's consider how to stir each other up to love and good deeds. It's in the bulletin. Okay? So we're going to meet in 154. Um, for the month of April, and talk about loving God, loving inside this community, and loving our community, and making some plans along those lines, okay? So I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to sing a song that I hope is the cry of our heart. We want God's kingdom to be built here. And if that's going to happen, it's only going to happen if His love is present here, and he's filling us up, and we are pouring out his love within our community and outside to the greater community that we've been planted in. So let's close in prayer and then hopefully pray this song together, asking that the Lord would build his loving kingdom here among us. Father, you are love, and I pray that we would see it. I pray that it would just thrill us, that the gospel would thrill us, that we would be blown away. Lord, maybe for some of us, my own heart included, maybe part of the reason I am often cold is because I've totally lost sight of the fact that I have been forgiven much. Like that woman, that sinful woman that came in, and then Simon in contrast. 
she was lavish in the way that she responded to Jesus. And Jesus said, those who've been forgiven much love much. So maybe, Lord, if we are loveless and cold, maybe we think very little of your love toward us. Maybe we haven't experienced it as lavish and abundant and overflowing. So would you please cause us to experience it like that so that our love would would be a beautiful reflection of your great love. Do it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.